0: There are all kinds of implications around that share of wallet. You know, will it be the student debt that they don't pay, or will it be those other loans, perhaps, that are not recorded to a credit bureau? Maybe buy now, pay later. You know, where will consumers kind of shift?
1: Welcome to Collecting Thoughts, CNR Software's new podcast. We're your one-stop shop for digestible industry news, anecdotes, and advice as told by the -the boots-on-the-ground industry leaders and subject matter experts. We'll be covering topics across the collection space, technology, and finance. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm happy to have you join us. Today's guest is Carrie Coker Aviliotis. She's a senior director at global data and analytics company LexisNexis Risk Solutions, where she is responsible for the strategic and tactical direction for the collections market. Carrie is an experienced leader with a 25-year track record in consumer data services, developing and expanding industry access, partnerships, and strategies. She has held previous leadership positions at Midline Credit Management, CoreLogic, and First American Credco, where she managed contractual and consumer data collaboration, spanning collections, and various other markets. When she's not working, Carrie is cheering on her two kids during soccer season, hiking and camping in the Eastern Sierra. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you found yourself in this industry? So to date myself a little bit, uh, way back in
0: 1996, uh, I found myself uh, at a tech job uh, here in San Diego, and it was with First American Credco. And at the time, First American had just acquired Credco and Credco, if you're not familiar with them, their, their big claim to fame at the time was a, a Triburo merged patent technology. And First American really had that view of what was coming down the pipe. So if we, if we look back in time a little in 1996, right at the beginning of, of the big upward swing on the mortgage side, I found myself in love with consumer data, I really did. I was, uh, let's see, the state myself, about 20 years old. I'd never seen a credit report in my life. The First American had a wonderful foundation that really started uh, with making sure that we understood that there was a consumer at the end of that credit report, at the end of that process, no matter what we were doing. We were helping to fulfill our clients who were working with consumers, who were, who were driving them to a mortgage process, right? So they were getting their home. And I think that foundation has really helped carry me through um, a lot of my, my journey. So I was with um, Credco. It, it was under the first American brand and then First Advantage and uh, later CoreLogic today, uh, where I, I stayed with Credco all the way through for 17 years. And then I found myself uh, looking around and in San Diego was Encore Capital and Midland Credit Management and uh, very happily kind of fell into collections, which I hadn't done before. I had been in the mortgage, automotive, direct to consumer, all under the data vendor role, data vendor manager role, uh, managing strategic data providers, understanding consumer data. And reflecting on that time as well, if we think about some of the things that occurred, FACTO was implemented, right? So many different uh, regulatory and adaptation occurred in the consumer data industry that by the time I ended up working with Midland, there were premises and regulatory items that had strengthened that access to consumer data. And so I found myself well-equipped and, and happily able to, to bring some of those strengths to, to Midland. Uh, and we really created a, a great uh, consumer data strategy there as well. So kind of fell into consumer data. I didn't wake up one day and say, I that's the career I want. We really fell in love with um, the premise of that foundation of working with consumers. At the end of the day, whether you're in mortgage origination, auto dealerships, all the way through the collection stage and the financial
1: ecosystem, the consumer journey is the foundation. That's a coincidence. I also started a mortgage when I was uh, first starting oh, out. You could. Yeah, I was in mortgage for five years before coming here. So with you being in consumer data and finding a passion for it, with so much, like you said, regulations being enacted, but also just technology and advancements, you've probably seen data grow as to, you know, what you used to be able to do with it, and now the unlimited possibilities it seems with today that you can do with the data. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, as I reflect back,
0: now that you're making me think back in time here, uh, when I started, it was a green screen and it was, uh, it was Shift F12, right? And, and now we've got, you know, technology like Windows, let's keep it there, Windows, and we've got a mouse, right? So much more easy uh, to do, so much more uh, individually, right? But when we think about consumer data, consumer data has evolved incredibly. When I started, I worked again. It was a a three-bureau merge patent technology that that we were driving forward in the industry at the time. And our premise was understanding that there were differences amongst the bureau and that three-bureau merge was important in meeting the requirements for the mortgage process. When I think back on that, though, today, given the regulations, given the changes in the nature of consumer data over time, we can no longer look at a credit report and say everything I need to know about the consumer is in that credit report. So there's been an, an incredible shift in the availability of consumer data, but also the need for consumer data in the consumer data ecosystem, in the financial ecosystem. Over time, there's been data that's been removed from uh, traditional credit bureaus, for example, liens and judgments. We all remember NCAP that went in and, and it removed civil judgments uh, and tax liens from the credit bureau reporting. Um, but there's been other things. Uh, medical debt is now significantly removed from credit bureau reports. In today's time, when we think about the need for consumer data to support, whether it's origination decisions or collection segmentation and prioritization, you're looking for consumer data to fulfill the need of understanding what is that consumer's financial status, right? How how are they made up today? And that also carries through to contact and locate solutions as well. How do you contact your consumers? I'm going to need to, as a data vendor manager, expand my reach into multitudes of sources, right, to ensure that I've got that complete information. So again, when I started that evolution of data, you could look at a credit report, go everything I pretty much need to know is in that one report, or in my case, a Trivira merge (laughs) merge report. Uh, But moving forward, it's not the case anymore. And you really need to be an expert across the board in available data uh, um, sources. Mm -hmm.
1: And has all of the different data privacy laws impacted that as well? where you can find the data that you need to get the answers you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, data privacy laws are incredibly
0: impactful. Um, You think about, can you get access to this information? I think there's more on the horizon around that, right? What's available for what kind of use cases. As I've moved across industries in my career, certainly information available for a mortgage transaction is different than information that can get for a collection (laughs) activity, right? And so we're all cognizant of that. And as a data vendor manager, prior to joining LexisNexis Resolution, collaborating proactively during times of economic volatility with your strategic data providers is key. If you know, for example, even in, in um, good economic times where you're trying to keep the consumer in your portfolio or you're upselling, right, and keeping the consumer before your competitor can upsell them away, or even conversely in economic times with hardship, right, making sure that you're aware of that consumer activity, Are they at risk of hardship, right? How do you proactively communicate? How do you market to those consumers? It's about looking for those sources that can help fulfill that information. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, lots of sources out there these days, having that proactive communication with those data vendors is going to help you fortify those strategies in advance.
1: Uh, The message, everywhere in blog articles, in trade show presentations that we're all attending. It's all about data is king and you need to do the, use the data to do exactly what you're talking about. But I can imagine for leaders of collections organizations who are really willing to get on the, the train and start utilizing their data in perhaps new ways that it can also be overwhelming. Of which points do they use? Where, how can we get it all in one spot? So could you talk a little bit about maybe unique data points that people can can look for that they probably already own in their organization that can help pinpoint how they can start reaching out to these consumers and progressing on their goals. Yeah, when we think about, you know,
0: specifically in the collections industry, we are headed towards increasing defaults, right? We all see the credit bureau trends and we can see, you know, the headline. So in that case, you know, kind of taking your disparate data sources, we we hear about that a lot in the industry. We've got you know, this division of this bank and this division of this bank, and how do they link those two together? Maybe this one is a current payer and this one's going into default. So linking your disparate data is key in your own systems and technology. And we talk about that all day long. LexisNexis Risk Solutions has a patented technology for linking and it's something that's a, it's the core functionality and a core uh, expertise of ours, if you will. Those types of solutions and conversations with large banking organizations, but also with law firms, right? Your placement for Carrie could come in in three different placements from three different issuers, right? And how to carry paper this one versus this one. And can you link that experience and learn from that as well? Those are all incredibly key in core systems. And how do you do that? It's, it's the linking technology, honestly. Uh, if you can come in and I've seen that over and over again, um, coming in and being able to say, well, I had Carrie five years ago. She was a successful payer. And this is the method that she preferred to pay in. It can learn, You can learn from that in your next placement for Carrie.
1: Mm-hmm. learning how to best communicate to these people, like you were saying, especially in times where so many financial institutions are competing for their customers to want to pay them back first, right? There's this payment hierarchy. We did a paper not too long ago that said something like millennials have on average 25 financial accounts between you know the various different credit cards and venmo and their student loans and which one is getting that top billing so using all of these data points like you're saying can help make that experience their choice in your company a no brainer because if you're hitting them with you know their preferred contact method and you already know their habits so you can suggest a payment method like a payment process then it kind of makes it a no-brainer for them and it, it helps take away that choice One of our previous podcast guests we had was a behavioral psychologist, and she talked a lot about people don't like making decisions because we have to make decisions all day on so many things, and we're just constantly surrounded by choices. So if you can eliminate a hard decision and make it as easy as possible for the person to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense, then you put your way at that top of that repayment hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about
0: that in terms of meeting the consumer where they want to be, right? I have a choice on my phone as a consumer when I sign up for for services. I can tell them where to contact me, when to contact me, right? And the same could be true for collections, right? We need to make sure that we're meeting the consumer where they want to be. They've been paying in one manner with an issuer. It gets charged up in place with a a collection agency or a law firm. Passing that information on is going to make your law law firm or your collection agency much more effective. Right. Meeting them where they prefer to be, meet them in the capacity in the media, right? Whether it's texting,
1: email, meet them in the same method that they want to be met. Do you have a fun success story, whether it's from Lexus Nexus or just anywhere throughout being a data a data vendor manager, of where the data really helped kind of turn a situation on its head for some for one of the clients you we were working with? So we we currently have a number of customers who have come to us to say,
0: hey, we are receiving placements from issuers for collections increasing every day, right? Given the economic tides that we're seeing, um, we are having challenges because the traditional credit bureau reports are not as complete. Uh, and so we're having trouble identifying uh, the right kind of prioritization and payment strategies for our consumer base. Um, and so we've been able to take a look at our, our alternative FDRA products under our MISV umbrella. And when we think about in the consumer data industry, alternative FCRA data, oftentimes people go, oh, utility payments, rental payments, right? That we in the olden days, we used to call that non-traditional data. We actually have truly alternative data. We've got um short-term lending insights that are unique to the Lexus Resolution uh, data asset we have um, educational insights in enough capacity. We've got professional uh, licenses. We've got liens and judgments, which are no longer available on the credit bureau reports. And so we're able to offer a completely different view or a more holistic view of the consumer's financial standing uh, and help those collectors really decide, do I put my prioritization on Carrie? Does she have the ability and willingness to pay? Or should I maybe put um, Christina in that category and put her forward because she does have um, an, an additional piece. So where the Credit Bureau data traditionally has been so road, we've had some fantastic success stories um, just this year in, in moving forward and really helping them supplement or even proxy in some cases with our alternative FCRA data and Swarm.
1: And it sounds like that could also really help organizations with early delinquency detection as well and figuring out when to go after them. Absolutely. You know. When we think about that,
0: you know, decaying, kind of we talked about consumer data a lot, but the, the evolution or the, um, the regulatory impact, unintended consequences that might be emerging um, for that availability of data, um, the restart of the federal student loans, right, mm-hmm. is coming. Interest is accruing in September and payments are due in October. And yes, there's a one-year on-ramp plan um, that the Biden administration has released. But in the meantime, there was the Fresh Start program. Which didn't get a whole lot of media attention and the, the credit bureau trends are not addressing it at least that I've seen. Um, but the Fresh Start program did exactly that. It gave consumers um, who were in the um, delinquency status or default status prior to March 2020. It gave them the opportunity to refresh that delinquency. So. Everyone who was delinquent, I think it was around 7.5 million consumers that were reported to the credit bureaus in a state of delinquency prior to March 2020, when the pause was implemented, they've all been reset to current or deleted if the date of first delinquency was older than seven years. So you've got this like tangible removal of delinquency information on the specific subset that everyone is focused on right now. Um, How do you support those consumers, right? You don't have visibility in that. And so you, you need to be looking, and, and I encourage servicers and, and collection organizations to really be looking and fulfilling that broader image of that consumer's uh, financial standing. We do have some of that information. We've got educational insights. We've got professional licenses, and we're doing some studies now um, in that sector. Hopefully, we'll be able to come out with some very interesting insights uh, in the next several uh, weeks. Oh, that's exciting.
1: A teaser. Yeah, a teaser. Teaser for you. Just speaking more, that's a really great point with the student loans. I mean, there's so many people. I have two younger siblings, right? And one of them's a senior. One of them graduated college right around the time the pause went in. So they haven't had to deal with student loan repayments. And I know they're, like, looking for their passwords so you would figure out what their payment is. So there's going to be a lot of people who are figuring out, you know, maybe it's 100, maybe it's a couple hundred, maybe it's more student loan repayments that they're going to have to do monthly And then suddenly, you know, those other bills that they pay, whether they took out something that they needed, like maybe they needed to do a home repair or they needed something for their apartment or just any kind of bill, suddenly there's going to be that extra bill that's going to be taking up their savings. And that can cause a lot of consumer distress, right? Like this is where the whole customer centricity part of the collections industry is trying to move towards because we don't want to suddenly anger all of these consumers that are probably going to be relatively new to interacting with a collections department because it's going to be their first time perhaps going into a distressed debt or maybe even going into the recovery portion of it because they've just been, you know, doing whatever they need to do because things happen. So using all of this data to try to get ahead of it, whether it's detect early delinquency or just communicate to them in the ways that make them feel the most comfortable, um, can help eliminate leaving a negative taste in these consumers' mouths. Because as we know, I feel like Gen Z. That is exactly. Yeah. Gen Z and millennials, like very brand loyal. So as soon as they get a negative taste in their mouth for a brand, they're, they're going to they're gonna leave. They're going to find someone else who is nicer to them at that moment.
0: I absolutely agree. And that's what we've seen. So early stage delinquency, again, meeting that consumer where they are. Communication strategies are so key. And in where they've been a current pair all this time, and suddenly they maybe are 15 days late, 30 days late. What's happening with that consumer? Did they move? Did they change their number, right? Are there proactive communication? Data hygiene on your existing uh, portfolios, making sure you've got the most current contact information. And then subsequently, you know, do you have a history with that consumer that you know that they like to be, they'll respond better on text or, or email? Like, right? what's their preference in that communication channel? And then you're right, that share of wallet. We're all waiting to see what's going to happen. I think that there is a, a study from one of the credit bureaus and another webinar coming out, I think, next week from a different credit bureau. There are all kinds of implications around that share of wallet. You know, will it be the student debt that they don't pay or will it be those other loans, perhaps, that are not reported to a credit bureau? Maybe a buy now or pay hey later. You know, where will consumers kind of shift? We saw all of those studies after the last Great Recession, where, where consumers picked you know, their car. They had to get to work, so they were more apt to pay their car. We're in a very remote environment now. Will we still see consumers opt to choose their car payment over other payments when they become financially stressed? In any case, proactive communication, making sure you've got those consumer outreach. If you're going to be modif- or offering um, things like loan modification prob- programs or hardship programs, now is the time to make sure you've got the communication for your consumers down and you're ready to start communicating that should you meet it, right? Should we see that kind of um, stress uh, become apparent in certain portfolios and you want to proactively start moving to that uh, direction? sure. Well, wallet, their, their experience, right, is going to be critical. And I agree, we've seen that particularly with the buy now, pay laters uh, in our conversations, very very keen early in the pandemic to make sure that their communication around um, late payment kept the consumer in brand, rehabilitated them and cured them. I'm not sure that that's sustainable. It may be. Um, they might start you know, adopting more of those late stage little, uh, legal uh, practices or, or even selling some of that dent off. Um, It'll be interesting to kind of watch those trends as we emerge in this next stage.
1: Yeah, for sure. And going back to what you said about making sure you have their up-to-date information, I mean, I'm sure when someone onboarded with a company, you know, whether it was a car loan or any kind of big purchase, there's a really good chance that their information, specifically where they live, is completely different because a lot of people got to work from home. So they all moved all over the the country or wherever. So finding updated information because maybe these people do prefer mail. I mean, if they prefer mail and you need to send them a letter and it doesn't go to their home, that is a knock on them because the consumer expects the company to know everything about them.
0: Yeah, and it's not like collections isn't the first one on your list when you're moving. Yes. Um, So so making sure that your data providers have the the source, right, the right sources and the most active information and the most key. One of the questions that I used to ask um, my data providers was, if you're going to be providing me phone number scrubs, right? And, and address monitoring, who are your sources? The extent that they can share, are those sources fresh? You know, are they, are you getting them in a quarterly basis, in a weekly basis? How often are you getting those notifications for changes so that I can be assured that I am getting the most fresh and the most recent information, right? Um, those questions from data vendor managers across the board, those should be front of mind, right? Top of mind challenging your data providers to make sure they're giving you the most um, complete and accurate, up-to-date quality information they can.
1: Yeah. Carrie, it's been so great speaking with you today. This has been extremely informative. Um, if, is there anything that you would like to share before we signed off? Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I can talk about consumer data literally all day long. Um, I think
0: that, you know, going forward, some of the biggest premises in this time of economic volatility is proactive communication with your data providers. Challenge them to make sure that they're giving you the most complete, holistic information they can around the consumer Uh, and and then strategizing with them. If you see something coming up on the horizon, the sooner you can inform them of those challenges, the better they can work with you. So, uh, again, thanks for having us. Super excited to, to be here today.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for joining us on Collecting Thoughts. Really appreciate it.